So we're continuing in our series, David Shaped by God. And these past months, we've been following the story of the uh, character of David in the Bible from 1 Samuel chapter 16, when the prophet Samuel anoints him and prays over him to be the future king of Israel. And we've seen over the years how it didn't work out easy for David. He was chased, he became a fugitive. Uh, the existing King Saul was repeatedly trying to kill him and take his life. And we've now seen in the book of 2 Samuel that David, Saul has died in battle. David has become the king and uh, he's, doing, he's done incredibly well. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. It says he, uh, God had given him rest from all his enemies. Uh, it's like, like, David, you've made it. You've become king. You're in the palace. You've got rest from your enemies. Uh, it's going brilliantly. And then last week, we saw how David really made a huge error, a huge mistake. He took uh, uh, someone else's wife, committed adultery with her. And, uh, and really from that moment on, we see the consequences of that in David's life. And today I, I, I want to look at how God challenges David over what, over what happened in the previous chapter with Bathsheba. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses of 2 Samuel chapter 12. And it seems at the end of chapter 11, as so David has managed to cover everything up. He hasn't confessed, he's kind of covered up his tracks. And if we look at the very last verse of chapter 11, uh, it says, After the time of mourning, he's had the husband of Bathsheba killed in battle. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her, that's Bathsheba, uh, to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. These are, this is the last sentence of chapter 11. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Let's continue reading the first 10 verses of chapter 12. <clears throat> the Lord said to Nathan, to David, when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man uh, had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come for him, come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, 
the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. I've called this talk today uh, David's parable. David's parable. And I'll, we'll understand why in a moment. Just look at the story here. These first four verses before I, I make some application into our own lives today. And what does this mean for us these thousands of years later? So... Nathan the prophet is sent by God to David and he tells David this story of these two uh, uh, men in a certain town, one rich, one poor, and the rich man has a lot of possessions. He's got a lot of cattle and sheep and the poor man has got nothing except one small lamb that he kind of treats it, says his own. It, 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 it eats his own food, his own water. It even sleeps in his arms and he treats it like a daughter, one of his own children. And then a visitor turns up to the wealthy rich man who has much. And what you have to do is prepare something. You have to eat together. But instead of the rich man taking from all that he has, he goes and takes the one thing that the poor man has and, and offers it and prepares it for the visitor that's come to see him. It's outrageous, this story. And David is furious. David is furious. You see, Nathan is God's, like, spokesperson in this story. It's master storytelling. It's about justice and sheep. And Dave, I, the best way I can describe this, it's like judo gets performed on David. Judo is when your opponent uses your own momentum, your own uh, action against yourself. It's like you, you go, you, you do an, an offensive move on your opponent and, and the power that you're using, judo, it, it teaches you to use it against the person who's coming against you. And you, you kind of turn the force that they've got on you, but you turn it back on themselves. And it's like a judo move gets used on David here. David said, this thought is terrible. It's terrible. This, is, this person deserves to die. And, and Nathan, God speaking through Nathan says, well, this is you, David. You thought you'd got away with this thing. You thought you'd covered it up. But you haven't. And it's like David is kind of stuck on his own sword. He's kind of put his own sword into himself. It's terrible what's happened here. Well, it's about you, David. This is what you've done. Three things I want to look at relate to us today as Christians. First thing I want to say, the first heading, if you like, is discontent. Could be in brackets, it's never enough. Close bracket. Discontent. See, God is saying through Nathan, I think here, we'll look at three, we're going to look really at three verses, verse seven, eight, uh, probably at two actually, verse seven and eight. It's all we're going to look at in the time we've got. Verse seven and eight, uh, uh, God is saying through Nathan, I anointed you king over Israel. David, come on, I've anointed you king. I've delivered you from the hand of Saul. I've given you your master's house, given you the house of Israel and Judah. Look what I've given you. He's, God is kind of saying through the prophet Nathan, David, why did you go after Bathsheba? Look what I've given you. You had everything, David. David was a very favoured hugely wealthy person. The king, he had everything. 
how can you be discontent? David, how can you go after the someone, that some, a person that isn't yours, you commit adultery. David, you didn't need to do it. God's saying, I've given you everything. Look what I've given you. This is what he's saying in verse seven and eight. Look what I've given you. And for us, and I guess for David, discontentment is at the heart of so much disobedience and sin. Discontentment is at the heart of it. We just can't be happy with what we've got. And this goes right back to the beginning of the Bible. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. It goes, God's saying, look, I've given you, Adam and Eve, I've given you all this. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. No, 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 no. They know better than God. You can't tell us that. Oh, you, you, the, the fact you've given us all this is irrelevant. You can't stop us doing this. It's not enough. I, I, we need this. He says, no. God says, no. And that, I think there's something in our heart of discontentment. It's kind of, we never think we've got enough. We need some more. Give us more. I'll be happy when I've got that thing. It's at the heart of so much of us. Just, just give me that and it'll be okay. I, I know I've got this stuff and I, I know I'm kind of okay. And actually it's not bad, but if I could have that thing, that person, that relationship, that, uh, that, that possession, that item, that house, whatever it might be. And none of those things are bad in themselves, but if I can have that, it'll make me happy. I'll be okay. It's discontentment with what you've got goes to the very heart of human nature of who we are. See, God said, Jeremiah chapter two, the prophet Jeremiah is kind of, he, he's kind of God speaking through him and some of the pain is coming through of, 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 about the nation of Israel and how they've turned their back on God. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter two of Jeremiah and says this, verse five, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? And went after worthless things and became worthless. What, what, what's wrong with me, God's saying? What's wrong with me that, that your fathers decided to desert me? What's wrong with me, God's saying? Like, what's happened to you? What, do you understand who I am? What I've done for you? The same chapter, verse 31. Jeremiah 2, 31. Again, God's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He's saying, have I been a wilderness to Israel? or a land of thick darkness? Why then do my people say, we're free? We won't come anymore to you. We're free. We don't need God. God's saying, am I a wilderness, Israel? <laughs> am I far from you? Have I not given you anything? Am I like a land of thick darkness? Is that why you're saying, oh, we, we can be free from you? We, 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 we'll come no more to you. Guys, that can creep into our lives. We can think, if I've just got this, I'll be free. It's like we can feel like God enslaves us. He, he, he kind of hems us in. No, God sets us free. We get set free through Jesus Christ. I wonder if David started to think there's nothing more good to come. This is it. I've battled all this way. I've done all these things. I've struggled through. I've survived being hunted. 
I've come right through. I've fought the battles now as king. I, I'm in the palace. I've brought the, the Ark of the Covenant in. I've brought the presence of God into Jerusalem. I've secured the nation. Done it. It's a dangerous place to be. Maybe that's it, God. Maybe you've done all you're going to do. Maybe there's not much more. Maybe it's a little bored by God. Not much in awe anymore. Is that us? Is that me? Is that you? His goodness doesn't surprise me anymore. I, I, I don't get a matter. I'm not, God, how good you are. It doesn't happen to me very much anymore. Is that, is that our story? I wonder if that was David's story. Just become familiar. It's a dangerous place to be. He's not caught up with a sense of wonder and discontentment sinks in because, well, it's okay what I've got, but I think I could have a bit more. Discontentment, it's never enough. That's the first thing I think that's going on here with David and it can creep into our lives. The second thing is this, I'd say is, well, how do we stop discontentment? Point two, stay amazed. Stay amazed. Point one, discontentment. The antidote to that, point two, stay amazed. You see, back in 2 Samuel 7, and we, we, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago now, two or three weeks ago, David prays this prayer when God comes to him with these marvellous promises. And you see it in verse 8. David says, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you've brought me this far? It's like, who am I? God, you've brought me this far. You've brought my family this far. I can't believe it. God, you're so good to me. We read down in verse 22 of uh, 2 Samuel 7, he's continuing to pray. He says, how great you are, O sovereign Lord. How great you are. Is that David's prayer now in chapter 12? Was it when he looked at Bathsheba? Had, it dull, had his spirit dulled? How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There's no one like you and there is no God but you as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders. Is that still David's heart to God? He looks at Bathsheba, covers it up. God, how awesome you are. Stay amazed, my friends. I say this to myself, preach to myself, stay amazed. We should be overwhelmed with the gospel, but we don't stay there. Jesus says you need to become like a little child if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Children like simple things, repetition. We get too sophisticated. We want to move on. I say, no, just come back to the gospel. Come back to what God's done for you through Jesus Christ. Don't move away from the wonder of God finding you through Jesus Christ. Even when you were a sinner, dead in your trespasses, God made you alive in Jesus Christ. Dead people can't make themselves spiritually alive. God does it as a gift through Jesus Christ. Stay amazed. See, Nathan uses a lamb story here in this chapter in 2 Samuel. God has a son whom he loved who takes away the sins of the world. It's amazing. For God so loved the world that he gave 
his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. God's passion for his son Jesus is overwhelming. See, in the Middle East, this is a story, we have to understand the culture. The culture here is that when a traveller or a friend or a relative turns up at your house, you eat together, you have to provide, you cook something, you, you do something special. You eat together, that's what you do. You feast together, you have relationship. That's why food, that's why a lamb has to be found. The friends turned up, the travellers, you, you've got to provide. You've got to do relationship, you've got to eat together. The Bible is a story of a God that wants to do that with you. He wants to do it with us. He wants to do it with me. He wants relationship. See, Jesus ate and drank with people. We see it all the way through the Gospels. And there's a wedding feast coming when we're going to celebrate together. See, Nathan is talking about the visitor here. And then the man, the rich person, finds someone else's animal. And this is the very opposite of God. The wealthy rich man who's got everything doesn't give of his own. He goes and finds someone else's animal to sacrifice, to kill. The story of the God of the Bible who has everything is that he gives of his own Son, Jesus Christ. It's the opposite of the man in this parable. The very opposite. It's such grace, such kindness, such wonder, but we lose it so easily. Verse 7, we've looked at it. God says through Nathan, I rescued you from Saul. David, David, I rescued you from Saul. It's not just through your own cleverness, your own ability in battle, your own ability to run and hide. God says, David, I rescued you from Saul. D David, don't you realise how bad it could have been? You could have been killed. You might never have got here. I rescued you from Saul. I don't think David's been considering or enjoying the gifts that God's given him. In verse 8, it says, I gave your master's house to you. I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you. I gave it to you, David. You didn't just take it. It didn't just happen upon you. I, God, gave it to you. My friends, what has God given you? What has he given me? See, spiritual experiences of God will keep you from discontent. Consider the practical range of ways that God has blessed you. Practice thankfulness. It's one of the ways to stay amazed. You say, well, how do I stay amazed? I want to stay amazed. Practice daily thankfulness. Just read. What has God done for you? Let's just look if I can find it. Where is it? Psalm 145. Let me read. The Bible's, you can just read your Bible. Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He's good to all. Compassion are all he's made. They will tell of the, people will tell of the glory of your kingdom. They'll speak of your might, your, your mighty acts, your glorious splendour. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he's made. He upholds all who fall, lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food at the proper time. 
He's righteous in all his ways, loving towards all he's made. He's near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Hears their cry and saves them. I could go on, this is Psalm 145. Look it up, read it, consider it. Be thankful to this God that's rescued you, that's saved you. Be thankful, that's how you stay amazed. So we've looked at discontentment. We've looked at the antidote to discontentment, which is staying amazed. Let's just finish with this. My third point is this, God has much more for you. So well, what do you mean? The question is, do you want more of God? Still miss a major point in this passage. We can still miss it. We see it here in, in, in verse 8. It's, I gave your master's house to you. He says, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this, if, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. I would have given you more, even more. It was too little, David. This is, this is striking. This is extraordinary. God has already given David huge promises and he's the king of the nation. But David, if that's not enough, I'll give you even more. I'm, I'm that serious about doing you good. I'm, I, I, I'm that good a God. My goodness is so amazing. God is willing to go on blessing us, go on blessing us daily. He will go on blessing us daily. Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. The English doesn't translate the Hebrew so well. The Hebrew word here for follow you really means to be hunted. Goodness and mercy will chase after you. It'll hunt you down all the days of your life. And you say, well, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like goodness and mercy is, is, is hunting me all the days of my life. My friends, we live in a broken world where sin has ruined relationships and life and our relationship with our creator. But spiritual goodness and spiritual mercy is hunting us down every day of our lives. It's true. It won't always feel like that. It won't always feel great because we're living in a fallen world. But the promise of the Bible is that God will chase after you all the days of your life with goodness, spiritual goodness and spiritual mercy. There's more. There's more for you. See, we can have kind of a miserable contentment, I call it, where we're kind of okay. Religion, maybe just try and be satisfied with your kind of average sort of life. It's okay, you just get by. It's okay. Scripture tells us to keep asking. Scripture tells us to keep expecting God to break in on our lives. There's more for us. There's more of God every morning when we wake up. As God is watching over us when we sleep, there's more for you. If, he says, today, if there's even more, David, I would have given you more if you wanted more. How much more have we got through Jesus Christ? There's more. You see, Scripture tells us to keep asking. You can say, well, am I really allowed to pray for that? My friends, pray for things you feel the Spirit is putting on your heart. 
Let faith rise. God, I want more of you. Have you stopped longing for more of God? This last year has been tough. As we come out of it, as we emerge, long for God. Say, God, I must have more of you. Hungry for God. God, create a hunger in me for you. What's on your impossible list? What do you need to pray for that only God can do? You're now joined with Christ. The Spirit's been poured out on you. You can experience God. Come to God with your ambitions, your longings, your hopes. God wants to do relationship with you. He says, there's even more of me for you. Press in. My friends, be beware of discontent. Never enough. The way through that, stay amazed. What's he given you? Practice thankfulness. Be grateful to God. List it. List it out. You've been rescued. Be thirsty for more of God. He's got more. It says this. He says, Jesus, uh, in John, the Gospel of John, it says, Jesus stands up on the last and great day of the feast. This is in John chapter 7, verse 37. Let me read it through to verse 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Friends, you want more of God? Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray for those who maybe even now are discontented with you. You know, do you know, there's much grace here, God. We, you, you're so kind. You're so gentle to pull David back here, even though you, you, you rebuke him strongly. God, I pray for those that are discontented with you and maybe think, if I have this, it'll be better. God, I pray you'd help us to stay amazed with your gospel, what you've rescued us from. What, you're, what you've brought us out of, what you've brought us into. And God, how much more is there for us? Create in us, God, a, a spirit, a desire for you, that we might run after you, that we might have more of God. Uh, God, that we might have these streams of living water flowing from within us, as the promise of Jesus says. I pray it over us as a church, God. Pray it over everyone listening to this. Let these streams, let the Holy Spirit come upon people, that streams of living water might flow from within us and bubble up out of us. Oh God, I pray, help us with these things, God. We want more of you. We want Jesus. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ. Just as you shape David, we want to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. For the glory of Jesus, that those around us might come to know who he is. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.